Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon. And I'm John Kaplan. And today we're celebrating our 100th episode. Dude. It's been a long time. 100 <laughs> episodes. I can't even believe that it's 100 episodes. Can you? No, I can't. It's, uh, you know, we started out, Johnny, it's kind of like a like a hobby, just to you and I to be able to hang out and talk to some really cool people. And it's turned into something really special, really special. Yeah, it really has. You know, I think our goal was to peel the curtain back a little bit on on a lot of sales issues, but also try to talk about, you know, personal issues that, you know, people that had survived, you know, really tough, tough issues. So we can talk a little bit about that. But I think really at the end of the day, the podcast is about giving back mm. and really taking the experiences from our guests and letting them share those life lessons and experiences for the younger audience to learn and change and not have to go through some of the same pains that we had to go through. Yeah, I mean, it's been... It's been such a privilege to talk to so many revenue builders and, you know, inspirational leaders and, you know, everyone from Brian Halligan at HubSpot and Cedric Pesh at MongoDB and Ann Gary of Force Management, which he's talking about EB's decision criteria and champions. And so today we wanted to just kind of talk through some of our most memorable takeaways from our conversation. Now, I want to preface that with we had 100 episodes, we had at least 100 guests. I don't want to alienate anybody at all. So if you don't hear your name called out on this, please forgive us. All of these episodes are really special, but the producers just asked us kind of from the top of our head. So I'm going to just going to mention, I'm going to mention a couple of them. And I got to tell you, you know, early on, Johnny, we spoke to a great leader named Doug Holiday. Mm-hmm. Do you remember him? Absolutely. His, yeah. His episode was called Leading Authentically with Doug Holiday. And he wrote a book called The Rethinking Success, Eight Essential Practices for Finding and work in life and man that was just a great episode it it ripped my face off and i got so many emails and texts about that episode people from all walks of life you know telling me how that episode just really made them slow down and make sure that they were leading authentically and and i also off the top of my head i love listening to cedric pesh's story about the late great carlo carpinelli i know he's a dear friend of yours and 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 Cedric's, he was Cedric's first boss in business and how he motivated Cedric by, you know, Cedric said he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so, again, that theme of authentic leadership was really just kind of ringing through. So those are some of the some of them from the top of my head. Yeah. For me, you know, we had a lot of people that, you know, met a crossroad in their life. For instance, we had Manny Aulian, who was grew up as a shoeless Nigerian boy became extremely successful as a businessman and then became CEO of Samaritan's Feet with a audacious goal, Mm. some people would say, to shoe 10 million shoeless children in this world. And this year, 
he's going to reach the mark of 10 million, shooing 10 million shoeless kids. Amazing. So it's just amazing. The other one was Anthony Anderson, you know, ex-Army vet that walked from Green Bay, Wisconsin, all the way to Santa Monica to raise awareness for PTSD, mm-hmm. which he had. And they made a movie out of Anthony's walk named Almost Sunshine. I think you can see it on Netflix. Sunrise, right? Almost, Almost Sunrise. Sunrise. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then Sarah De La Garde, mm. who had a terrible accident in the underground in London where she was hit by a train. She's lucky to be alive. And she touched me when she said that one overwhelming emotion that she has is gratitude. Mm. And she could have died in so many times that night, but she didn't. She clung on for dear life. And wow, what an amazing woman Sarah is. Mm. And finally, the other person that really touched me was Ambassador Masood Khalil. Yeah, wow. You know, and on September 9th, 2001, Ambassador Masood Khalili was sitting next to the hero of Afghanistan, Commander Masood, also known as the Lion, affectionately as the Lion. Mm-hmm. And Commander Masood or the Lion was the head of the Northern Alliance for people that don't know. It was a U.S. ally, and it was a resistance group to Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. And that day in September, two men that were posing as journalists wanted to meet with Commander Masood, the Lion. And they came into his bunker, and they assassinated him. They had a, a bomb inside their video camera. But Commander... Masood was sitting right next to Masood Khalili, and Masood Khalili survived, and the lion died. And then Masood Khalili told us an amazing story of what happened the night before the bombing. It was a tradition in their culture to open a book, preferably the Havez, to a random page, and then let your eye fall on any random passage in the page. And the night before the bombing, the lion and Khalili read the following passage. This really hit me hard. Oh, you two who are sitting tonight together, value this night. Mm. Many years will pass. Days will go by. Months will disappear. But you won't have this night again. Value it. Goosebumps. Unbelievable. Dude, right? goosebumps. And, and Johnny, what a small world it is. Like people were asking us, how did you get Masood Khalili? an ambassador on the podcast. And if you recall, Johnny, it, uh, you know, 20 years ago or more, I found myself on an airplane sitting next to him and the conversation just changed my life. And we've been, we call each other sky buddies. Right. So if he listened at your laptop and you were wondering if exactly, well, I got to tell you, you know, (laughs) if you go back and listen to that episode, you'll get a chuckle out of how I was just terrified. The German police had German military come. There's about 20 people surrounding this guy in a turban. That wasn't Masood Khalili, but it was the um it was actually the um the the president of Afghanistan and they we were in a 747, they brought him up to the top and then they loaded his entourage. And I go into the plane, Johnny, and I'm sitting right next to his entourage. And it was it was just it's quite a funny story. If you get a chance, I think you'll really, really love that episode. And you know, Johnny, for me, like I was I don't want to say enamored because I don't want to trivialize it, but I was blown away by the episodes that we had with the Navy SEALs. Mm. You know, Mike Hayes and Brent Gleason, uh, you know, the themes of embracing the suck, which, uh, you know, Brent Gleason talks about because it's it's when we really find out who we are and, and you know, 
also focusing on, you know, who you, you find out who you are in times of crisis and how we are leading others and allowing them to grow and make mistakes. And also, you know, what it really, you know, means to be a part of a team. And there's an ethos in the Navy SEALs that I took away that really, you know, really makes me think. The ethos of the Navy SEALs is the more I hurt, the less you hurt. And so I don't know if people know this, but the Navy SEALs were designed to travel in teams. And most teams are around, you know, six to 10 people. They're not like stealth, single individual contributors. And what that means is everybody has a role and everybody has to do what they need to do. And it has to be perfectly in sync. And if you have to take one for your teammate, that makes the mission survive. So the ethos, again, the more I hurt, the less you hurt. So serving others, not only, you know, the men and women that you work with, but also those that you lead, that was powerful for me. And they also talked about the difference between no-fail missions and missions where it's okay to learn. And so as a leader, as you're going out, this could be a no-fail mission where I'm going to have to take over and I'm going to, you know, there's this is not a learning mission. But then there's going to be learning missions where I know that we can, there's room for failure, there's room for growing and coaching and developing. I just found that concept amazing that Navy SEALs would even differentiate that. And then the last thing, Johnny, we always talk about the power of debriefing. And in the Navy SEALs, they have this concept called a hot wash. And what that means is no matter what we just came out of, no matter what the mission was, no matter what blood and bones we might have a problem with, sorry to be so graphic, I don't mean to be, but the point is no matter what happens in that mission, even if people were killed of their own team, they always do a debrief. And I just thought you and I talk about the art of debriefing and how it's kind of got lost these days. And yes. I'm thinking, here's these dudes that are men and women that are putting their lives on the line and losing lives. And then the first thing they do when they return from a mission is they get in the room and they debrief. And I just thought that was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah. Didn't Mike also, Mike Hayes also talk about subordinate leadership? Yes. Where on a mission... He hasn't, as the leader, cornered the market on all the ways to execute this mission. And he has to listen to those on his team and more importantly, understand the skills of everyone on his team. And maybe in the next couple blocks as we go down this path, John Kaplan might be the leader because of what needs to be executed. But when we turn the corner... Maybe somebody else needs to be the leader because of the skill set that they have. So really being intimate with your people and understanding who should be the leader at what moment in time based upon what needs to be executed. I thought that was extremely powerful. You know, Johnny, you bring up such a good point. And I think, you know, one theme that we saw was like leaders that understood that their subordinates, everybody has a need to be heard. And when you know your voice counts, and you know people are counting on your voice. It just brings, uh, you know, the the team dynamics to another level. And I really liked what he said at the end of the day, like Jocko Willink says in the um, Extreme Ownership book. Um, at the end of the day, there's one person responsible no matter what happens, and that's that leader. So when you give people the ability to give their input, what I love is what these Navy SEALs do. They have a deal that says, look, I promise you, you'll be heard. And if there's adjustments we can make, we'll make it. But when we make a decision in here, mm. we all grip hands. Yeah. Even if it was, even if you didn't agree with the decision, 
you grip hands and you move as if you you move and execute as if it was your idea. Yeah. And I thought, man, what a great, powerful leadership lesson. 100%. Um, so, Johnny, I also, um, you, I think we're talking about things that surprised us. So, you know, Sarah's story, Sarah Delagarde's story, you know, staying calm in a crisis, uh, an incredibly successful businesswoman. As Johnny said, she found herself on the bottom of the subway tracks in London after being hit by two trains, not one train, two trains. And she lost limbs and she was critically injured in the story of how she hung in there by thinking about her children and then by using her breathing skills. This is something that I really amazed me. Yeah, that was amazing. Do you remember? That's she, what saved her life. What saved her life. So she she uh, she climbed. She was a mountain climber. She had just finished climbing uh, Kilimanjaro. A, uh, I think it was a few months before this accident. And, you know, Johnny, 99 percent of the people they told her 99.99 percent of the people would die in that scenario and they would just bleed out <clears throat> but she had the unbelievable ability to use her brain her breathing her focus on gratitude and her focus on her children and she actually slowed her heart rate down so she didn't bleed out and for me you know not only did it you know not only now is she thriving um, and raising funds and awareness, you know, they changed all of the medevac. Remember that with the foundation she helped start all of the medevac. Uh, uh, she she told us like I don't know eighty or ninety percent of the people that are medevac die mm -hmm. because they're just so dire and they don't have the proper equipment on the uh, on the helicopter. Right. In this case, they actually had a few things on the helicopter that actually saved her life. Uh, she wouldn't have survived the, the trip to the hospital in the helicopter. And they changed legislation in the UK. Right. And that's part of her, you know, part of her foundation, all because of her, all because of her accident. So, you know, not to be cliche, but something good coming out of something so ter terribly bad. And, you know, so for me, that was a, um, that was a, you know, a long drive home, a quiet, long drive home after that interview. I was really, really touched by her. You know, also, one of our most popular episodes was the snowflake episode with Chris, Chris Beckman, you know, as a, you know, startup, and just the mindset of what it really takes. It really means to be in a startup. A lot of people say they want to be in a startup, but you, you know, when you hear these stories about, you know, the resources or lack thereof, or lack of processes, and you know, I don't know if you recall, but you remember when he talked about, you know, a career that 90 day increments. Exactly. I mean, we joke about that, but he actually said he believed, the way he stay focused, he believed that he had a uh, cancelable and renewable contract every ninety days, and I just thought that was a great, well, great. We, we both we both lived in that. Yeah, too. but Johnny, how many guys do you know? I don't think I know of anybody that started with the startup as a first salesperson, then became you know sales leader, hire people, boom, 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 and then as the company grows and it becomes an enterprise wide company, you're still the CRO, like. He went through all those stages. It's just really, really rare. It's a multi-billion dollar yes. revenue company. Yes. Chris is still the, the CRO. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. It's very rare. And the last thing, Johnny, I learned so much from you, you know, with all your experiences on, you know, enterprise, consumption, subscription, and, the, you know, this, 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 this wave and tendency of consumption models. We're all familiar with it. We only want to pay for, you know, how much we use. So, you know, I want you to bill me from when I turn the light switch off, when I turn the, you know, turn it on to turn it off. And it just radically changes the way you go to market. And I thought we had some wonderful episodes in there that really did a great job of, of teaching us like really 
you know, when you have a consumption model, you have to have a customer success organization that's driving customer outcomes. It just can't be a, you know, in title. Those are some, those are some also some additional takeaways I had. Yeah. I thought a couple of insightful moments were like having, uh, you mentioned Cedric Pesh. Yeah. That was a great episode for me. He talked about becoming a CRO, the challenges associated with being a CRO, the issues faced when you're scaling a sales force globally. And finally, the difficulty of leading a large global sales team with people spread out all across the world. Yeah. But a moment I remember most was when Cedric was speaking of how a good leader needs to give the team a vision, a vision which will keep their mind away from the monotony of everyday work, you know, making the cold calls, doing the prospecting, mm. doing the PG, setting up the discovery meetings, and keep them focused on the long-term prospect of why are we doing what we're doing and what are we going to become when we get there, I think those are two yeah. key elements that go into any vision statement. Cedric quoted a famous French author who said, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to assign them to tasks and work, to collect wood and bang nails, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I got chill bumps, buddy. So I got chill. I remember vividly when he said that. Yes. That is so clutch. And, you know, Johnny, we talked about some things like along those lines, you and I talked, you know, a couple of times about the difference between patriots and mercenaries. Yes. And how companies, when they build culture, they, you know, people think that like culture just kind of makes itself. And when you don't focus on a culture, you find yourself building a foundation on mercenaries, those people that are paid really, really well, they execute really, really well. But when something happens, if they don't get paid or they don't get food or they don't, you know, they lay down their arms and they go home. Yeah. If you have a bad quarter, they'll leave you. They leave you. And so a lot of time when we were growing up, Johnny, no allegiance, stock and equity and all these stuff, you know, that's great. But like, look what happened last year. You know, Silicon Valley Bank goes down and all, you know, I, I, it was like 90% of the tech companies were affected. And so the tech industry started to started to struggle a little bit. And I saw it last year. The mercenaries, they laid down their guns and they went to other places. The patriots came to the leaders and said, I'm going to go home and rent. I'm going to I'm going to break down my furniture and I'm going to melt the metal to create bullets. Yeah. Just tell me how many bullets we need. So they're there for the, they're there for the the company, for the culture, for the, and it wasn't hokey for me. It was like, that's the difference between good and great cultures, patriots versus mercenaries. Yeah. Love that. I also liked Mark Roberge, who was the first CRO at HubSpot. He's now a Harvard professor. Yeah. He's co-founder of Stage 2 Capital. It's a venture capital firm. He's an extremely talented person. He's constantly trying to derive, get to the core of any issue. Like anytime I deal with Mark, he wants to know the why, 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 why. He's trying to get right down to the core to understand the issue and what insight you can derive from it. But he told the story where he was the CRO, so he had sales, but he didn't have client success. HubSpot had a churn issue. How instead of watching sales fight with client success over, was it a good deal? Or was it a bad deal and client success couldn't support it or we sold a good deal and 
and the back and forth who put Mark in charge of client success and sales. And Mark decided to do two pretty, pretty original things to reduce churn. First, he changed the comp plan to pay more on a second order from a company to ensure the salespeople would do two things. One, that the original deal would be a good deal that would stick, the deal that was rooted in the reality of mm. being successful. And number two, by definition, the salespeople would care for the customer success so that they would buy more because if they weren't successful, the reps weren't going to get paid more money on the second deal. So that started to reduce churn. The second thing that he did is he physically moved yeah. client success yeah. people and salespeople essentially into the same room and into pods where client success person would be sitting directly across from the salespeople that on the same accounts. I thought that was really powerful. Freaking fantastic. Let's talk about some additional themes, like we're on a roll here a little bit. You know, leading authentically, you know, I remember kind of summing up that those topics as people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that has a lot to do with authenticity. And you always talk about, Johnny, being intimate with your with your teams and knowing their whys. So that was a big takeaway for me. The other thing was, Hold on, yeah. On that one, let's talk about somebody that I thought emulated selfless leadership. Yeah. And that was John Mosley, who oh, was a yeah. men's basketball coach at East Los Angeles College. Yes. And his team and, and some of these episodes are highlighted in the net flick show yes last chance you yes and john's pursuit of greatness to these young men and how he puts his heart and his soul into teaching these young men not more than just basketball teaching them about what it takes to be successful in life i thought he was the definition of a selfless leader so if you want to see a selfless leader in action watch john's show last chance you it's a couple seasons old now but it's about the basketball coach at East Los Angeles College. Yeah, we had him on it. We had him on a couple of times. One in a uh, Audible Ready Force Management Audible Ready Sales uh, podcast, and then Johnny, when you and I started this, he was one of the you know one of the first ones we did, and that was the you're right. It was just phenomenal. So that you know the leading authentically is really stuck with me. For me, also, we talked about recruiting as if it was like breathing in these podcasts. You know, we talked about looking for things like curiosity and what does that really mean? People throw that around as like a cliche, but you know, how do you know somebody's going to be good at discovery? Well, they're going to listen more than they talk and you, you have to simulate that in interviews. You have to really see if people are curious. They also, we also talked about, you know, you don't want to hire people that haven't failed before. We don't think about that. Like when you interview somebody and if you, if they haven't failed and you're running the kind of ship that we think you need to be running, they're going to fail in this job. And if it's the first time that they fail, that's going to be the kiss of death. You don't want people to fail for the first time, you know, with you. So I really, really like that principle. And, you know, customer centric, outside in mentality, first making it all about the customer with discovery and then earning the right to make it all about you. I thought that, you know, people that are, that are, that have that inside out mentality, excuse me, outside in mentality versus inside out. And then uh, Johnny, Almost every episode we talked about voracious qualification and all the episodes were broke down medic and talked about the how of medic, not just the what. Medic's not a sales process, but it's a qualification criteria. I like to think of it as like an x-ray. So an x-ray overlays on top of the leg and it shows me where the bones are break are broken. It does not show me how to 
heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. And so the people that do the best job with medic is the leaders that do the best job with medic are the ones that help people get unstuck and they focus on the how. So we had some great episodes uh, with Ann Gary. We also had an episode with Tony Pirelli at Selling DeVito. That was an awesome one. Oh, sorry, sorry. What did I say, DeVito? Yeah. So sorry, Tony Perinello, the Selling DeVito. Sorry about that. And then we Ann, had him on twice. We had him on twice. We, we had him on, and then instantly people said they wanted more. So we we got him on really soon after that. And then Ann, Ann Gary's episodes, which talked about economic buyers and champions. And she wasn't talking about medic as like a compliance tool, she was talking about it as a conviction device that leaders use to help get their people unstuck. I thought it was just really powerful. Yeah. One of the other ones I liked was we had Brian Halligan on. Yeah. I mean, in companies, there's a, especially amongst the leaders, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. And Brian said that there's three types of people in a company and that they have a specific perspective regarding the decisions that are made in the company. And he put it better than anybody else I've ever heard. He said mm -hmm. that there's me, there's team, and there's enterprise. And because of their perspective, these people bring different value to the company. Me value, team value, or enterprise value. Mm. So in making a decision, do you think more about how it's going to affect you as a person? Do you think mainly about how it's going to affect you as a team? Or do you think first about how it's going to affect the entire company? And certainly any CEO, especially successful CEOs like Brian, who's been leading or led HubSpot for 16 years, wants people to bring an enterprise perspective and enterprise value to decisions to constantly create enterprise value for the company. I thought that was really sounds so simple. Me, team, and enterprise. Yeah, Brian put it really succinctly. Really powerful. <clears throat> um, excuse me. I, um, you know, people ask us, you know, what are you thinking about? What do you have in the pipeline? What is? And it always the conversation goes between you and I. It's like, hey, John, what do you want to see more of? And I got to tell you, what I'm craving a little bit more in 2024, and it, it, our audience. Uh, really seem to like these episodes, you know, like Marcy Stout talking about, you know, she spent, I don't know, 20, 30 years in corporate America. And she had such an incredible uh, perspective about being a mother and being a leader and how those interact, you know, being a father and being a leader, being a family member, and being a leader. And just like the, the balance of work life, Marcy just that episode just brought so many things to to light that you that you need to consider because when you show up at work you know you show up with i call it samsonite luggage the luggage is there i mean your family your life is part you spend more hours probably with the people you work with and and uh and and then the people that you live with and so it was just a really really great perspective i'd like to have more discussions about really work and family balance because i believe there's a way to do both the most successful leaders i've ever seen are the ones that have a good handle on that they don't burn out and then the power of the breath like with Niha Saxana, like she in that episode she just taught us how to breathe and we're designed to get like 80 percent of our energy from the breath and we lit we literally get less than 10 percent of our energy from the breath so you can actually oxygenate your body, you can oxygenate your brain, you can oxygenate your, uh, you know, your performance by focusing on the breath. So Johnny, I'd like to see us do a little bit more with the personal performance, mind and body. I know, I know you like those. No, I love that. I mean, one of the things that I'd like to see is how you balance your health with work. I mean, you talked about how people live in a 90 day increments, especially yeah. 
you know, because we live in a quarterly world where we get, especially salespeople get a report card every 90 days. But how do, how do we handle the stress of that, those 90 day increments with balancing it with exercise, diet, yeah. supplements, cold plunge, sauna, yoga, meditation? What effects can those things have on our life to help us balance the stress that's associated with living in 90 day increments. I think Dude. that could be powerful. And I know I, I'm, I'm loving that. And I know that you'll spearhead that. I really love learning from you. And, you know, this morning, uh, you know, we did a sauna and, or sorry, we did a steam and then we did a cold plunge at 50 degrees and it was spectacular. We got, I'm sitting here in, in Johnny's place down in Naples and I happen to be down here for, for a meeting and, and uh, that's how we started off the day. Actually, he started off the day with about an hour workout before I got over here. I got to eat the breakfast and then get in the get in the uh, uh, steam and the, the the cold plunge. But seriously, you didn't hop in that cold plunge as quickly as you hop in the sauna. No, I did not. But I did pretty good. I, you did. I great. did pretty good. Did yeah, awesome. fifty degrees, and I I just it felt awesome. All joking aside, there's just some wonderful, wonderful data out there about how it's just, you know, adds years to your life and add years and immediate value to your perspective on life. So we'd like to do a little bit more of that. Here's the last thing I want to say, Johnny, and kind of wrapping up for me. Um, I want to just thank you all, the listeners out there. And I want to thank you specifically for just caring about our guests as much as we do. Let me give you some examples. You know, we brought some incredible life stories to the podcast. Manny Ohome, who you mentioned, Zach Rosenberg and what he's doing with homeless people. Masood Khalili and his dedication to his homeland and to peace in the world. Tom, Dr. Tommy Watson and just turning around an unbelievably horrific. Uh, what did he say, Johnny? Moved? Was it 18 times in three years? And he was living out of hotel rooms with his parents going to prison. And it's just an unbelievable story. And, and how he turned those circumstances into power. Pepper Johnson, an old friend of mine who has, I, well, I don't want to dog him on this one, but I think it's at least three Super Bowl rings. And, and he has a number, uh, a number. He played for the Giants and then a number of Super Bowl rings from the Patriots as a coach. Uh, Dennis Walters, you know, has an unbelievable chance at a PGA career and he has a tragic accident and, and, um, and becomes paralyzed, and yet he still plays golf today. Anthony Anderson, you already talked about him and how he faced PTSD. There's so many stories like that, Johnny. There's many, many more that we brought. And these are all people who have chosen to use their God-given talents to serve their fellow, you know, men and women. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings in life is that all of us need to feel like what we do matters. The most successful people in life. They, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and what they do matters. And I'm telling you straight up, Johnny, that, you know, for these servant leader guests that we had, it was abundantly clear that they believe what they do matters. And then all of them have expressed gratitude for our audience, you, the listeners out there, your sincere generosity. So we always talk about, you know, on those special interest ones, we talk about, you know, how can gain more awareness for the guests and they always have outstanding uh, results after being on the show, which means you guys are opening up your hearts and your checkbooks and those kind of things. So, you know, that's been really, really cool uh, for us and in, in in our audience when you just care as much about, you know, these servant leaders as we do. We, I just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for caring about our guests. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Thank you, John Kaplan. Thank you to all of our guests as you just explain. 
Thank you to all of our many, I think we're over 20,000 listeners. Wow. And thanks again to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Here's to 100 more, John. 100 more. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 